Howdy folks, Craig here. This episode we have Robert Singer revealing all the secrets on how to play the Arcanist Master Rasputina in the December Crew. He also exposes how to effectively play against them. But before we jump in, our friends at Gadzooks Gaming have a sweet offer for all, all our U.S. and Canadian listeners. Gadzooks Gaming has always been a big supporter of the third floor and games like Malifaux, Wild West Exodus, Dark Age, Frostgrave, and Legion. But what makes them my favorite online retailer is their customer service and their amazing custom terrain and accessories. They're giving all of our North American listeners free shipping if you spend 100 or more and then enter in the promo code THIRD FLOOR. That's spelled out one word, T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R. Check them out at gadzooksgaming.com. The details are in the show notes. Now on to the episode. Can we kind of talk through models that you're bringing into your crew the vast majority of time when you choose her as your leader? The things that I think most players are going to find most shocking is that Rasputina has changed dramatically um, in her play style. Yeah, that versatility is nice, man, because you get to decide how you're going to use those pillars if you have to. The number of cards you have is more of a resource now than ever before. But what benefits other than arcing does she get from those pillars? God forbid that you dirty arcanists um, have to have a little bit of a hard time winning games. The Justice is still somebody that uh, worries me as a Rasputina player. That than stepping away from the screens, unplugging and sitting around a table to do battle with your friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars brings you the latest strategies, tactics, and reviews on board games, card games, and miniature games like Malifaux. If you want useful information on the games you already play or new insights on great games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the Arcanist Master Rasputina and how she and the December crew work in Malifaux 3rd Edition. My guest is Robert Singer, and you may know him from his activity on Weird Place. He's had several games of Raspy under his belt for M3E, and I'm going to pick his brain. So Robert, welcome to the third floor. Can you give us some background on you as a player and what brought you into Malifaux? Yeah, thanks, Craig, for having me. Um, yeah, I started playing Malfo in 2014 um, during second edition, probably the the height of second edition at that point. Um, and I really kind of got into it just because I I was at Gen Con. I was looking for another game. Um, I loved skirmish games, especially. And found Malifo. Thought the card mechanic was really cool. Fell in love with the setting. And uh, Rasputina actually was one of my first masters that I picked up. Her and McCabe. So, uh, oh so yeah. no, kidding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, and 
after a while of kind of just playing with a couple of buddies, I wanted to grow the community and became a henchman for uh, Indianapolis and central Indiana area in 2016. Very cool. What were you playing before Malifaux? So what kind of, what, 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 uh, what was your, what's your ex-girlfriend? Uh, my main ex-girlfriend is uh, Warhammer Fantasy, uh, pre-Age of Sigmar Warhammer Fantasy. So I right. played that from 5th edition all the way through 8th and then uh, tried Age of Sigmar and just couldn't hang with it. Um, just it was too different. And I'm big on setting as well as competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the, what they did with the plot, while it was fine, I thought it was interesting. It just didn't grab me like the old uh, yeah. Warhammer Fantasy did. So. There's the best thing that ever happened to Malifaux was the the blow up of fantasy because I swear that's probably the most popular last game that I played before I got into Malifaux. Uh, a very common thing. I never got into fantasy. I got I played a lot of 40k, um, but uh, I kind of regret it now because so many players and people that I talked to that I respect as players came from that world. Um, oh, so cool. I hear it was it was an excellent game. Yeah, I. Uh... There's a lot of folks that I know who played Malfo came from a lot of diverse backgrounds. Um, we have a lot of guys in our um, community who were fantasy players. Um, a few played 40K. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard in minis games to have not come across 40K at some point in your, yeah. your gaming uh, life. But uh, we also have a lot of War Machine and Hordes players or converts from War Machine Hordes. Uh, and I think that there is... Uh, similarities um, here and there, especially with uh, the ways you can build up combos and things like that. Um, There's definitely a a strategic depth to both games that are are similar. Um, But I do find Malifaux, and I think most of our other players found it more interesting because you could kind of dive into more, you know, deeper into a faction and more diverse, you know, heroes and characters with a lower model count. And I think that was a big draw for our players. Well, very cool, my friend. Um, So... This is going to be a tough one for me. And not only uh, is it well known that I hate Arcanists, um, (laughs) but the first, probably the first master I faced on a regular basis was Rasputina. Okay. So my good friend, my good friend and I, Jimmy, he and I were uh, ex-40K players, getting tired of that, kind of getting tired of playing The Hobbit too. We played a lot of The Hobbit. And, um, you know, I picked up Malifaux and uh, started painting him up and talking to him, talking to him about it, sucked him in. And basically my first crew was Perdita and this is early two E and he had Rasputina and this is obviously not news to anybody. I'm terrible. And he's very good player, a very good competitive player. So probably the first 10 or 12 games of Malifaux I played was me getting crushed by Rasputina over and over again. Um, so at, uh, I'm going to do my best. Um, be patient with me as I try to uh, keep my uh, uh, lip bit during through this whole thing. <laughs> Not a problem. And I, I can tell you that one of the, the things that I think most players are going to find most shocking is that Rasputina has changed dramatically um, in her play style. Uh, and I know a lot of players, especially in early beta, were very upset by that. Uh, I, for yeah. one, having played Raspy for a very long time in 2E, uh, I love the changes, um, mainly because it is something new and different. Does it still feel right to you, though? Does it still feel like, you know, she's, you know, got December's curse and uh, from a fluff? Does she feel fluffy? Yes. I think she actually Good. feels more so now than she did before. 
That's good. That's good. My only experience with that so far has been Molly, who is a is a master that I played that changed drastically. Yeah, and I'm I'm like you. I love it. It feels different. It's new. It's still her. Um, so that makes me happy. Um, so let's get more into Rasputina. Can you kind of sure. give us an idea, especially for people that played her in 2E, what kind of style or type of master is she now? All right. So now she is pretty much a ranged control master, uh, which is really, honestly, very, very different than what she was in 2E. Um, I'm sure, as as you know, especially being on on the the brunt end of it, um, Raspy could feel kind of oppressive in a really, really, really awful way because she would either completely paralyze your your models that you need to you know scheme and do what you need to do with, or more often just completely delete models off the board uh, just with her massive blast and. Yeah, that that play style is actually completely gone from her. They, she does have um, a few attack actions that have some blast, but she really is not a primary damage dealer who uses her models as a turret. You know, basically a turret. Uh, she is now a um, full-on range control master who's going to force the opponent into having to make the best of two awful choices. Oh, that's very cool. So a bit of kind of a control aspect, but at range. And and I think what I like hearing about that the most, Robert, is that it it makes her not the other side of the Sonya coin. Yes. Because I always felt like there were so so many similarities between those two masters and play styles and what they did. And, you know, with the last round of upgrades to try to kind of differentiate them more from each other. Um, but it, it it makes me happy uh, for you, Dirty Arcanists, that Rasputina's kind of got her own... Uh, feel to it so let, let's dig into kind of our, our main mechanics so um Absolutely. if you're going to talk to us about signature abilities what are we talking about uh, her signature ability, and I think it's the, the one that we, we absolutely need to start with, is Ice Pillars. Um, ice Pillars are going to be um, really the crux of everything that Rasputina is going to bring to the rest of her crew. Um, and on her activation, really bring to the table to um, really try and control what her opponent is doing. Um, so the ice pillar action itself is a tactical action that she has. Um, it is of course called ice pillars. And what it does is it's a ranged, um, stat six ability. And she, uh, the target number is very low on its, uh, target number 11. So essentially she needs a five to get it off. She has a built in tome on the action itself as well. Uh, and what it does is it creates a height four blocking, destructible, impassable ice pillar marker anywhere within range. The range of the ice pillar action is 12. However, that's misleading. And the reason being is that her front of card ability has an ability that will be familiar to most folks who played Rasputina or played against her um, called Ice Mirror. And what this does is that instead of her being able to cast through models as it previously allowed she now casts through ice pillars so once she drops that first pillar within eight inches of herself she can actually cast through that pillar because she'll have line of sight with it being height four pretty much anywhere on the board and right. so that extends her range at least for the ice pillar action to over 20 inches probably about 21 inches 
Wow. So, I mean, that first turn, then you're looking at putting it pretty much putting that second ice pillar wherever you damn well please. Yes. And so the interesting thing, too, is that with her um, ice pillar action, so she's got the built in tome. Uh, the target number requires a tome. However, uh, for two tomes, uh, she has a trigger called Frozen Dom- Domain, which allows when resolving, create an ice pillar marker anywhere within range. So, wow. You drop that first marker, and because it's when resolving, you can drop two down. And so now you've got Mm -hmm. two in position of kind of where you want them around her. The next action, especially on turn one, uh, her second action, you're going to try and drop another. And now you can draw line of sight through one of those pillars. So you're getting two out in front of you between 8 and 12 inches on turn, you know, the first action. Second action, especially if you have the tome in hand or you want to spend a stone, uh, you end up getting two more that are going out as far as 21 inches. Wow. Wow. That's uh, that's powerful. So can, can we get an idea, and I'm sure it'll get into it with her crew, but what benefits other than arcing does she get from those pillars? So the first and most important one is a front of card ability that she has called Harsh Winter, which states that if this model is this crew's leader, any models that start their activation within Aura 1 of it or an Ice Pillar marker must either discard a card or gain slow. Ooh. Yes. So essentially, what Rasputin is trying to do on the outset with the Ice Pillars is twofold. One, she's trying to create Arc nodes essentially for herself, right, to see across the board, draw a line of sight across the board. Especially that height four is very powerful, especially with it being an ice pillar marker. What that means is that you can also drop that into concealing terrain. And now you can see out of that concealing dense terrain. So there's a lot of possibilities that you have with these markers to really get around line of sight issues on the table so that she can see wherever she needs to. The secondary function of this, though, becomes forcing, like I said, the opponent to have to make really tough choices because now they're having to choose when they activate a model. If I drop it, that marker within one inch of you know two or three models, those two or three models are going to have to discard a card or gain slow. So you're either sacrificing an action with them or sacrificing a card in hand. If you've got a ca- hand of all good cards, those are cards that you're yeah. Using. Well, and there's so many, there's so much more discard requirements in M3E across all factions, and your card hand is restricted. It, yeah. There's now a max card size. It's a real, it's, I mean, so cards were always a resource, right? I mean, obviously. Yeah. But what I'm finding is that the number of cards you have is more of a resource now than ever before. Oh, absolutely. And the amount of card draw that you can get in a crew is especially important. And yeah. At the onset, especially with now where also you can use cards to cheat initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, and that even that cheating initiative with certain strategies like cursed idols can become very, very important. So there's a lot of reasons why taking cards away from your opponent can be so powerful. Uh, and it is something that's nice for the Rasputina player as well is that she's not going to do or put out as much damage as she used to in a, in a very big way. But what she is going to do, she's going to force that opponent to really have to reckon with making some very difficult choices. Um, And we'll get into it a little bit later why her crew is so good at this, because some folks may be listening and thinking, okay, well, she can max get out six pillars a turn. Well, yes, that's (laughs) true. However, 
she is not the only right. way that her crew can get those pillars out there. Uh, there's also a lot of ways once the pillars are there with some of her other actions, especially her attack actions, that she can really force or magnify um, the pain for the opponent to have to start making difficult decisions. Yeah, and you know, you, you see the markers are thirty millimeter. You say, "Oh, it's only within an inch of it." But I mean, when I when you told me that a it wasn't a it wasn't a bonus action; it's a tactical action, which means she can do it three right. times. And now, with each time she's doing it, she's potentially putting out four markers. I mean, that's insane. Um, and mm -hmm. those thirty millimeter markers because there's other terrain on the board are going to, are going to gum things up pretty quick. And, you know, we didn't have destructible terrain before. That's about the only thing that makes me not immediately, uh, uh get triggered by this entire conversation is sure. that I, that you can destroy these things. And for those that aren't real familiar with three, can we talk through, you know, what destroying, uh, like what, what kind of action takes that so that we can get an idea? Cause you're, I would imagine going up against Raspy, you're going to want to get uh, familiar with how to destroy terrain. Absolutely. So uh, a destructible terrain trait means that that terrain is removable and it's removable by models or uh, well by models in general. So any model, and this also is very, very important for those who are going to try and attempt to counter Rasputina, is that any model, does not matter if they're significant or insignificant, can still take an action if they are within one inch of a piece of destructible terrain to remove that piece of terrain. So the bright side is that your insignificant models, your rats, your um, hollow waves and others who cannot scheme and cannot interact are still able to remove a nice pillar marker and any other type of marker or destructible terrain. But they still are probably going to, if they're starting within one inch, they're still going to have to either discard a card or gain slow. Yep. So you're still limiting even those models. But I have found, especially in the opponents that I've played against, um, that some are definitely willing to make that sacrifice on their insignificant model of having them gain slow just to destroy that piece of terrain. Yeah. There are other... Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, and this starts to get into what you what you hinted at, Robert, which is, you know, leaving them to have to make two bad decisions. Yep. So, yeah, even even somebody like an insignificant model, such as a rat, who actually for a Hamlin crew has so many other very important things to do outside of just the typical scheming, may have to gain slow because Hamlin's got to hold on to that one important card to be able to destroy that model so that Hamlin or Nyx does not get slow. Yep. And, and the key being, like you mentioned, as we get into the crew, we're going to find out these aren't the only way that those pillars are popping up. Correct. Talk to me. Um, so we got kind of an idea, maybe even kind of an idea of first turn. Is there any, any other main strengths that we should keep in mind as we move forward with her? Sure. So one of the one of the important things for her personally with the ice pillars, aside from the fact that she's going to draw a line of sight through them, especially that'll come into play with pretty much all of her attack actions. And that's pretty much what every action she has on her card other than ice pillars is an attack. Outside of that, she also does have an ability called Ice Shield, uh, which is her only form of defensive attack, which is when this model suffers damage from an enemy attack action, it may remove an Ice Pillar marker within Aura 2 to reduce that damage down to zero. Mm. So unless she's going up against somebody with irreducible damage like Leviticus, she's going to be able to, if 
in a panic or if something does get super, super close and into her face, you can, and you're usually going to see it coming, you can drop a pillar or two right in front of her so that you have those as an extra buffer. Um, and it'll save you some stones as well because now you're reducing that to zero. It's a surefire thing. You're just taking that one ice pillar off that's there specifically to protect her. And I would imagine you're going to get double duty out of that, right? So you can you can put those pillars up close to block lanes to you know provide protection and then mm-hmm. use them later if they do get in on you. Oh, absolutely. And so that's one of the nice things too is that still if somebody gets, gets into Raspy, the ice um, or the harsh winter ability still states that it's not just the ice pillar. It's if somebody starts with an activation within one inch of her yeah. as well. And so the other nice thing, and I, I have had this come up in games before, is that uh, if I'm playing into like a Lady Justice or the Vix or something like that, then I'm really, really concerned about all the damage-dealing models that they have. I'll drop some pillars right in front of her that, one, are going to block a lot of easy charge lanes for models. But two, even though it's blocking everybody else's line of sight to her, it's not blocking her line of sight right. to them. And so she now has this wall that she can use to protect herself in multiple ways and other models behind that same wall and have the ability to basically shoot wounds. Yeah, that versatility is nice, man, because you get to decide how you're going to use those pillars if you have to. Um, Exactly. And and they're not just there as a safety net. They have uses beyond that. So I could see that being really, really good. Let's uh, let's dig a little bit in more to the offensive capabilities. You mentioned there's some attack actions that she's not the blaster she used to be. But um, what, what is she doing offensively? All right. So I will actually start with her uh, her blast attack that she does still have, which is called Winter Strike. Uh, It is 12 inches, stat 6, resisted by defense, and essentially it's a it's your typical 3rd edition blast attack, I would say. So it's got a damage of 2, 3 blast, 4 double blast damage. In addition, model, uh, you push any model that is damaged by the action up to 1 inch in any direction. So there is a little bit of damage that you can do there. It, the nicer thing, though, is that if she does have that, uh, does get that uh, moderate or severe damage, she's doing ping damage to everybody in a large swath, and all those models she can now push. Mm-hmm. So for those schemes and strategies where uh, certain models are trying to get close to a turf marker or to certain models that you're you're sniffing out, you know, that they're doing out flank or they're trying to. Uh, hold up your forces and that sort of thing, you can use this to push all those models away. Yeah. There are, oh, yeah. One inch push too is one of those things that you read on the card and you go, okay, no big deal. But yep. in a game, you're like, whoa, actually this matters a lot. It sure does. Um, and I, you know, and I've had multiple situations in games where uh, just bringing a couple of those models closer or further away from something mattered a great deal. Uh, whether it's pushing them into hazardous terrain or uh, severe terrain, um, something that then makes it more difficult when they have to leave. Um, or conversely, I've even done it where it's actually pushed things into the ice golem, and we'll get into later why getting pushed into the ice column is not a good thing. Okay. <laughs> how about uh, any kind of, we talked about her defensive tech. Um, how about like um, her support abilities? Is there anything she's doing to make her crew better? Uh, I'm actually sorry, going back real Please. quick. Um, so 
in addition to Winter Strike, she does have two triggers on it that makes the ability very versatile. One is called Chill, and that's on a tome. Uh, most of Rasputina's cruise models are going to have the Chill trigger on one of their attacks. Uh, essentially, what it is, is on a tome, the model's damaged by this action game slow. Mm-hmm. So again, now you have, in addition to those Ice Pillars going out, you have another way to get slow out. And in this one, it's an en masse, especially if she gets one of those Blast Marks. <sighs> So, and then similar to Rasputin in the past, she does have a mask trigger to take the action again, targeting the same model. Yeah, that that's good. That's good. And it um, it sounds to me what little she traded in damage, she's gaining a lot in uh, applying conditions and controlling things. Um, but, but that makes again that makes her different, which I like. Yeah, and again, that's another action that is she can have a, up to a twenty-one inch range on it because of those ice pillars. Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right, so let's uh, let's swing over to support abilities. Um, what is she doing okay. to make her crew better? Uh, pretty much nothing. Uh, there is there's very little uh, on her as a master that makes her crew better. Uh, the only thing um, that I would say uh, truly from a strategic tech list building aspect as far as trying to counter specific models um, that Rasputina can do is the fact that she herself is ruthless. So she can ignore terrifying and manipulative uh, models, Um, but otherwise she really doesn't have a lot outside of ruthless and her harsh winter, which is throwing out that slow from the ice pillars. Um, What she more is, is she is the the focal point to throw out the ice pillars. That is the, the main form of support that she's going to do. Uh, that makes sense now so it sounds like she can work somewhat independently that it's not some of those some of those masters out there that are linchpins to the success of the crew have you found yourself hiring her as a master with other leaders uh no okay uh the main reason is that that harsh winter ability goes away if she is not the leader oh right that makes sense so uh, I do want to go back real quick to something about attack actions as well, is that she does have a third attack action that is actually really, really important and integral um, to some of the ways that I play her, and I think that fit the control aspect better. Um, so as good as Winner's Strike is with the 12-inch range um, and the blast, she also has a 6-inch shockwave um, that is quite unique. Uh, What it is, is so it's a stat six, target number 11. Instead of dropping a shockwave marker, the action can actually center itself on an ice pillar marker within range. And if it does so, the action, uh, the models damaged by the action suffer an additional plus one damage. So the shockwave stat line actually, shockwave one, move 14, damage one, but becomes damage two if it is a ice pillar they also gain slow and staggered, which is a lot for one uh, shockwave. There's a lot of efficiency there. Yes. And so that one's going to have only about a 14-inch range or so um, because she's going to, or probably about 15 inches, because she's, you know, even if she uh, casts that through one of her other um, ice pillars, it can only go onto an ice pillar that's within another six inches. But to me... Freeze over can be one of those um, abilities that is really going to be sneaky um, for Rasputina player to use on opponents who are either not thinking about it or not suspecting it. 
Because with all those other ice pillar markers that are flooding the boards by the end of turn two, when you, when those models, your opponent's models start having to either discard or gain slow, if they've chosen to discard to not gain slow, you start dropping those shock waves where now multiple models are going to have to again test. Mm-hmm. And if they fail that not easy move 14 duel, they're now taking two damage, gaining slow, and staggered, which is really, really, really going to hinder them from moving around the board. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. You've 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 likely done some damage to their hand already, and for most models, that's going to be you know a nine or better. Um, yeah. Which uh, oh boy, those I like it, man. A lot of tough decisions. Um, you're, yeah. you're you're keeping your promise from the beginning. Is you're you're constantly forcing them uh, into tough decisions, and you're the one that's controlling when those decisions pop, um, which I like as well. You know, because you know if I'm up against Rasputina. And I'm, you know, she hasn't activated yet and I'm activating next to a pillar. Do I discard? Is she going to come in here and hit me with a shockwave? You know, do I say, you know, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made. Yes. And I I like to think of her a little bit as an avalanche, um, which I think is also apropos for the ice theme. But the way that she and her crew can interact with one another to force the opponent to have to start making those decisions. And at first it's tiny ones here and there, but they build up and up and up and up, especially the more ice pillars begin to flood the board. I think the big thing is you are, you're in so much control as the raspy player Um, and and your ability to dictate this. um, I, I could see that being in the right hands, especially being potentially devastating. So I, I get the avalanche. So, yeah, they, and she does also, um, if she does get locked into melee, which I don't suggest, she does have a zero inch melee attack. Um, this one does also hand out slow, but it's relatively low damage. Um, there is a built in trigger though, that pushes models away from her. So she always has these, these little way, sort of ways to push models around here and there. Yep, and that that um, that harkens a little bit back to Tui um, and her ability that if she if she does get locked in, she wants to get out. Um, and yes. you know the ability to mitigate how much damage she's going to take in that process is good. Um, that's very interesting, Robert. It um, it's I get what you're saying. How it, it, she feels more like Raspy. Um, it feels mm-hmm. like these new abilities are fluffier. You get more of the cold theme going um with all the slow and the pillars and things like that um very interesting i'm not looking forward to playing against her um (laughs) uh, and i haven't faced her yet um and until we talked i hadn't really looked her over um except right here before the show um so that's that's very very interesting and i think it sounds to me like it allows her to find her place within the Arcanist um, faction as well. Um, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit too when we talk about um, you know the pools and the decisions you're making. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I'm going to pick Robert's brain um, about what do we do after Rasputina. So after we pick up Rasputina and her totem, what kind of models is Robert picking as part of his core crew? What is he using for beaters, schemers, and support pieces? We'll be right back. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. 
Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. So we've got a new and improved raspy, um, not uh, not your old man's raspy. And uh, now let's talk a little bit more about the December crew. So, Robert, um, I'm finding as I'm talking to more and more people as we're doing these master deep dives that most are, you know, have a core crew that it could be two models, three models. And I've actually talked to some people that are, you know, really bringing, you know, 35, 40 stones as their core. So can we kind of talk through models that you're bringing into your crew the vast majority of time when you choose her as your leader? Absolutely. So the the first, of course, is the Wendigo. Um, the Wendigo as her totem is, I think, one of the more um, useful totems uh, for a master in the game right now. Uh, one of the reasons for that being the fact that... Uh, he himself, even though he's height one, he himself can actually count as a living ice pillar marker for Rasputina, specifically just for the ice mirror ability. So you won't get the extra slow stuff and things like that, but an early conduit for her to get some extra range early in the game can be to move him first. Uh, and he has a move of six inches, so oh. he can really get up there uh, where you need him so that she can drop that first part ice pillar marker wherever she needs to um, and and get that one up early. The other nice thing is that he can still copy Rasputina's actions um, as long as it is not a melee action, so any of her sort of casting ranged actions. Uh, so a lot of the time I will typically use that, especially in turn one and turn two, to drop another ice pillar marker. Uh, and again, he has that full range. Now, the only downside is that he will need a tome because it's not built in, uh, and he's casting that at a stat four. So it's a little bit harder to get off, but if you've got the cards in hand, it shouldn't be too difficult uh, to get that extra one there, and it's always worth flipping for. I'm going to see a lot of pillars uh, going into turn two, it sounds like. Yes. Uh, Well, and that leads me to the, the model that I... Even though it's a minion, I start with this for any Rasputina crew because they are just so good for what they do, and especially in a Rasputina crew, and that is actually the silent one. So at six soul stones, the model itself has uh, a pretty good base stat line of six health, five move, five defense, five willpower. Pretty basic, right? But it's the rest of its abilities and how it interacts with the Rasputina crew that make the Silent One so powerful. First of all, their number, their top ability on the front of their card is actually Ice Mirror. They can do the exact same thing as Rasputina. They can draw line of sight through an ice pillar within eight inches of them. The next thing that's very important is that they have the ability attuned, which means that they can use Soul Stones. So between those two, you then have a series of actions that make the silent one soar for support in the game. Their attack is an eight inch attack, stat five resist defense target suffers one, two, four damage. It's called ice blast. 
and it's got two triggers, swift action, do it again on a mask, or mutilate, and the mutilate on a crow is built in, which is when resolving, the target has slow, it suffers plus one damage, otherwise it gains slow. So essentially with the attack, they now, as a minion, uh, with an ice pillar out there, have a 14-inch range attack where they can, if they hit, automatically give somebody slow if they don't have it, or if they already have slow, which in the Rasputina crew is very likely, end up getting plus one damage to what they're doing. So pretty solid, just basic attack. Yeah, and and I mean, as I'm listening to this, Robert, I don't know if I have enough conditional removal in any crew to be able to handle this. So it sounds like uh, a lot of models are going to be slow and stay slow. Yes. Um, now, all the typical Malifaux stuff that can happen, bad things happen. So against an opponent with a good hand who's beating it, um, you know, hot deck, you know, things are going to stop it, but there's going to be enough slow getting out that's going to still make it very difficult for the opponent. Uh, which brings me to their first of their two tactical actions that are actual full actions. And that first one is Ice Pillars. So the Silent Ones also can cast Ice Pillars, which is one of the first things I have them do in the first turn pretty much every game. It gets some extra pillars out before Rasputina even has gotten the opportunity to get hers out, thus allowing Rasputina on her turn, and I will usually activate her a little bit later, to then have her choice of models within that 21-inch bubble, essentially, to spread her pillars around. So the silent ones on turn one are going to do a lot of the setup for Rasputina later in the turn. But that can continue throughout the game. So as you said, you're going to end up seeing a lot of ice pillar markers. Now, yep. fortunately for the opponent, there are no triggers on this particular ice pillar action. So they're just getting their one and done each time. The next uh, tactical ability, and this is where silent ones to me become a, a must take in a Rasputina crew, um, is the fact that they have an eight inch heal um, called healing energy. Um, so status six, target number 12, heals one, two, three, and there is a tome trigger healing burst, um, where models within pulse two of the target also heal one. How much, how many stones were these things? Six stones? They are six stones. Wow. So no, no real defensive tech to speak of defense five, six HP. So they're going to get true through a little bit. Uh, but you're going to have difficulty sometimes getting to them if you're slow or if you have a lot yeah. of models slow because they've got that range. But once you get to them, you're going to probably cut through them like tissue paper unless the Rasputina player is really, really hanging on for a scheme or strategy to keep that individual alive. Um, Your positioning and, and where, you put, where you put those, um, are gonna, I think, would be extremely important. Yes, and there is some extra mobility in a December crew, even though a lot of the um, models inherently are move four or five, um, there is some extra mobility uh, that we'll get to. Um, so that's something that I try and turn one as well, is to try and move them up the board a little bit where I can, and then just get them dropping pillars, because um, they don't need to usually heal on that first turn. The healing will come in to play more prominently with some of the other members of the crew. Uh, so they also have a bonus action um, that's range two, targets corpse markers, and it heals them one, two, four. It's called Grim, Grim Feast. Uh, a lot of the living December models, so Silent Ones, December Acolytes, uh, Horcats, have this ability. 
again, that's one of those things that feels very much in theme for them, that so many of the December uh, acolytes, the, the members of the, the cult of December, um, are essentially cannibals. And so mm-hmm. this is one of those fun allusions to that that does have a practical use, especially if you're playing against Rezzers. Right, who are dropping corpse markers left and right and need them out there. Exactly. Very cool. Who's doing damage for you? Uh, so my big beater um, is going to be the Ice Golem. Uh, the Ice Golem is, I think, one of the, the, the best bargains for a beater um, that Arcanists have. And Arcanists have a lot of really great options, but to me, the, the Ice Golem is kind of stands alone, separate from, from the rest, especially if he is in a Rasputina crew. Uh, I'm very high on the Ice Golem because throughout 2E, you almost never saw him at yeah. all. Part of that was the fact that he had a defensive two. So he was very easy to take down and he was too expensive for what he does. Fortunately, we don't have as silly stats like that, especially for important, expensive enforcer models like the Ice Golem. Uh, so he, he's got a nine health, a move of four, so he's still a little bit slow. But his defense is back up to four. Um, and he does have armor two, uh, which is always comes in handy. Um, definitely have to be careful of anti-armor uh, models and anti-armor tech. Uh, but he does have a lot of ways to get up into the thick of combat. Um, and we'll talk about this other model in a little bit, which is Snowstorm, which is um, Rasputina's henchman. But Snowstorm has ways to push um, and get extra movement out of the December models. So Ice Golem is actually going to be able to get up into the center of the board where you need him fairly quickly with some good play and some good tactical maneuvering as well as target selection. Uh, he has Flurry. Uh, he has an ability called Frozen Club, uh, which is while within Aura 2 of an Ice Pillar, his melee actions receive a plus ram to their duels which will be very important because his actual melee ability called Huge Fist is a one-inch melee, stat six, resist defense, target suffers three, four, six damage. The ram trigger is frozen smash. When resolving, the target suffers plus one damage or plus two if it has slow. Which is potential five minimum damage if he's attacking a slow model. There, I, I think that's the first time I've come across that so far in 3E. That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's rough. Um, I've had it only go off a, a couple times. Um, usually, um, as the players, you know, as your meta starts to evolve and get used to certain things, a lot of um, my players have realized, oh, if I'm going to take slow off of a model, it's got to be the one that's on the ice, you know, that's going to be in combat with the ice golem because I don't want yeah. to just die immediately. Um, he does also have uh, the chill trigger, so he can throw out slow. Uh, but that's his that's his main bread and butter attack. Um, that's what he does, is you want to get him up in there and really just start smashing face uh, as quickly as possible. Um, he also benefits from ice pillars being around because he has a four-inch pulse bonus action called Reform from Ice. Uh, which is he can remove any number of ice pillar markers within range, and he heals two for each pillar marker removed. So he has a built-in extra heal there. So if something gets pushed into him, or if he charges something and he's still near some ice pillar markers, he's going to be able to, you know, get three actions off of attacks, and then whatever hits him back, um, 
next turn, if he's still up, he, you know, but still not looking great, he can do that reform from ice action or bonus action and take some wounds back by himself. And I like the, that the raspy player has to make that decision. Um, you know, do I keep those pillars for the damage or, you know, do I save his rear end? Yeah. Um, so th- th- there's some balance there. Um, which I like. How often is he seeing turn five? Uh, I've not lost him in a game yet. Yeah, that's what I was um, afraid of. Now, the the reason being, though, is not just because of that. The reason being is because I like to, a lot of the time, if I'm taking him into um, a crew, and I usually take him, even if it's a more scheme-oriented crew, just because he is such a distraction that the opponent has to deal with, on top of all the slow and card manipulation that's going on. He's something that they have to deal with if I send him into something. So I like to take him. And if I do, I'm ending up taking two of the silent ones. And so they're also able to just heal him back up to full if I need them to. And if, of course, if I have the cards in hand to to make it all happen and and get to the maximum of what I need. But generally, I've been able to, to keep him up in most games. Now, he will get cut down pretty hard from anti-armor with that defense four and yep. if it's something ignores armor. So especially ranged attacks that are going to ignore armor can really, really hurt him and mess up his day. But he, again, benefits from the fact that if he's behind a nice pillar marker, even though he's on a 50 mil, it's height four, it's blocking. So he's going to be getting that cover. Yeah, that's good. And it... it... <sighs> Yeah. And it sounds like I'm starting getting a sense that uh, there's a little bit of pressure on Raspy's hand um, because there's a lot of stuff that she can do and and her crew wants to do. And you only have so many cards. So I'm starting to get a sense that you're having to be very smart about your decision making. Yes, you have to. As the Raspy player, you are pretty much starved for cards the, the vast majority of time. And I... I can tell you right now, so I I usually get really garbage hands, uh, especially for some reason, just turns one through three, I end up getting really bad <laughs> hands. So I don't end up seeing any good cards until turn four. So it especially, it's forced me as a player a lot of the time to really think about like the tactics and like when I'm going to use those cards, especially if I get a good one or two in hand, uh, because it is so rare. Uh, but yeah, it, what I did discover, and this was all throughout beta, and well into now was that uh, she was always starved for cards and I really, really had to be careful about where I wanted to use those. And especially on turn one, where I truly wanted to use those cards was on getting the ice pillar markers out. After that, once you have a good baseline of that, then you can start to be a little bit more flexible. But turn one, you really, really, really need to get them out, and you need to get them out into strategic places that are either going to disrupt your opponent or set you up for the next turn to start disrupting your opponent. And that's going to make it a little tough because of that pressure, I would imagine. It makes it a little tough for you to use turn one to curate your turn two hand. Exactly. And so one thing that does help is uh, I always take magical training on at least uh, one of the silent ones. Um, This also gives them some extra defensive tech, uh, especially the counter spell and the uh, the shield of plus one. But the main reason I take it, like most Arcanist players, is for the Arcane Reservoir so that I can have a seven card hand. And obviously, because you're taking it, it's worth the two stones? Oh, absolutely. Every yeah. time. Every time. Uh, 
who's uh, who's dropping scheme markers? Who's getting to turf markers? Who's who's running your schemes? So it, it really depends on the scheme, um, but the, the the two big scheme runners um, are going to be Blessed of December and the uh, the um, sorry the best Blessed of December and the Ice Dancer uh, mm. are the two big scheme runners. They're fast, they're mobile, and they do enough different things that you can justify taking them, especially in a very scheme marker heavy or mobility scheme uh, encounter. Uh, you can justify taking both of them. Uh, so the Blessed of December um, is an enforcer, so you can only take one. Um, she has eight health, um, five moves. She has an awesome de- defense of six um, and a willpower of five. So she has a little bit more of that um, defensive capability that's sometimes lacking in a Rasputina crew, especially coupled with the fact that she has hard to wound. Uh, so she can be kind of a, a beast to have to deal with um, if you're going to really try and take her out. Uh, her mobility begins with the fact that she has deadly pursuit. So during the end phase, she can push four inches. Um, she also has, and this is the most important aspect of her for, for really getting around, is that she has leap. Um, so on a six, um, she can place anywhere within six inches. Uh, and that really helps, um, especially for... Um, getting across the board to where you need her. So for search the ruins, for breakthrough, for outflank, that sort of thing. Is the um, suit built in for that leap? Suit is built in for that leap. That's big. So, That's big. Yeah. So, but again, it's another instance where if I don't flip that, you know, six and I really, really need it. Now I've got to spend a card in my hand and that's still a card that I might need for an ice pillar later on or yeah. one of the shockwaves. So there is definitely still pressure on, on the Tina player to really, um, make some of those hard choices as well. Um, but again, that's something that to me fits in with the fluff and flavor of the characters that Rasputina is always in this constant struggle of making hard decisions for herself and for the cult and her place in the world and that struggle with December. So, well, uh, and God, for, God forbid that you dirty arcanists um, have to have a little bit of a hard time winning games. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speaking of hard times, the uh, the Blessed of December also has um, a, a pretty uh, vicious attack called Ferocious Claws. It's a uh, range of one melee, um, stat six, resist defense, and target suffers two, four, six damage and then gets pushed up to two inches in any direction. There's a whopping three uh, different triggers for this. So critical strike for the plus one damage on a ram. Uh, Pouncing strike, which can sometimes be one of my absolute favorites with her, uh, which is on a mask. You place uh, the Blessed in base contact with another enemy within five inches in line of sight and then take the action again, targeting that enemy model. Uh, And then on another mask, a a separate mask onslaught, so she can just take it again against the same target model. So so she has a lot of options if she does need to attack something, especially she can be a good enemy scheme runner uh, hunter. Uh, She can go and kill a model very easily, uh, especially a minion for uh, reckoning. Uh, Mm -hmm. So she has a lot of different versatile uses, and I pretty much take a blessed in any Rasputina crew. between her and the ice golem, that's that's two models that we didn't see much of in two E. So I'm glad yes. they've got some new life. Yeah, and and honestly, the only time you would ever see Blessed was really um, not as Blessed. You would see it as Miranda turning into the Blessed uh, in Rasputina Cruise, especially for something like Undercover Entourage. 
Uh, so you really never saw it even hired into the crew. The only way you'd see it on the table is if uh, an out-of-faction model was taken first. That makes sense. Now, does that pretty much build up your core as far as the December models? Uh, so my core, I would say, is the aforementioned Blessed, the Silent Ones, um, However, there is one that's in the ice column, but there is one that's missing, and that is the snow, is snowstorm, and that's Rasputin's uh, mm. henchman. Uh, snowstorm is one that I I don't think is one hundred percent necessary in every encounter. However, it is one that I do like to take in most, and that's because it's essentially another um, blessing of December, except that instead of getting the extra movement itself it's giving extra movement out to everybody else. So it has a very similar stat line of nine health, move five, defense six, um, willpower five. Um, however, it provides a little bit more buff for the rest of the crew, especially early on in the game. Uh, she has middle of the storm, which is when a friendly model within or three suffers damage from shoot actions, reduce the damage by two. Uh, she also has charge through, um, and she has the same exact attack as the Blessed of December. So charge through essentially means that when she takes the melee actions that are generated by charge, she gets a plus to the damage flip. So that two, four, six damage, even though the low end is two, you're probably going to get closer to that four um, with that plus to the damage flip, even if you're, um, you know, maybe on a negative initially from the, the differential between the, uh, the dual total. Um the model also has um, a truly, truly um, important mobility action. Um, it's technically an attack, but it can be used by the rest of the December crew essentially as a tactical action instead. So what it is, it's a shoot range uh, 8, stat 6, target number 12, shockwave. And it's shockwave 2, so it's got a much bigger radius, 2-inch radius instead around that shockwave marker. Move 13, damage 2. Now, as a whole, that's a really good, just basic damaging shockwave to throw out at the enemy, right? However, when you resolve, any friendly December model may ignore the effects of the action and instead push up to 3 inches in any direction. Nice. So, you don't, essentially, you don't even have to, you know, you can renege with the, um, the December models and just let them get pushed while mm -hmm. enemy models, especially if you've got a big morass right in the middle of uh, the center of the board or something like that, you can start damaging your opponents and pushing your other models. Uh, but early game, you're using that to push up all of your December models. So usually yep. I'm going to drop, move with snowstorm, then drop ice tornado behind him so that it pushes all of uh, my December models up an extra three inches. Sometimes I'll even, um, so there's a ram trigger called Cataclysm, which allows a second shockwave marker to be dropped within range and line of sight. So sometimes if I've got that ram in hand, you know, if it's a six of rams or higher, I can drop that down and then affect almost the entire crew and get them that extra three-inch push, which for several of those models, especially Rasputina and the, the Silent Ones, and definitely the Ice Golem, that's a big deal of getting them further up the board. Uh, finally, he's got a bonus action uh, that's really, really important called uh, December's Command. Um, so it's a six-inch uh, range, stat six, target number 10. 
and you target another friendly model with Demise Frozen Heart. We haven't gotten too much into that, um, but there are a few models in Rasputin's crew that have Demise Frozen Heart, which means that when the model dies, they drop an Ice Pillar marker in base mm-hmm. contact. So when you target a Demise Frozen Heart model, which is essentially only a handful of her crew, it's really not any of her, your living models like the, the Silent One or uh, the December Acolytes or the Horcats, but it's more your Ice Gam and your Ice Golem. So when you target one of those models, you push that target up to its move in any direction. So that's where the Ice Golem is now getting his extra movement from, is that he can end up getting an Ice Tornado that pushes him three inches, and then December's Command that pushes him another four inches. Now he's pushed seven inches, so if you get, want to get him close to the center of the board or elsewhere, he's gotten seven free inches of movement before his turn even starts, where then now if he does decide to walk or uh, charge, now he's gotten up there a little bit more, and so he's more akin to other models that he can actually get somewhere um, with about 11 inches, 12 inches of range. And with all those pushes, it's going to make it hard to to lock him down, it sounds like, too. So, you know, yes. if I, my, my game plan is to tie up the the guy for at least one or two activations, that seems it might be harder to do. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And so the, the Snowstorm is one of those pieces that I find as a really nice utility piece. I'm not always going to take him, but I am definitely going to take him when I know I'm taking the Ice Golem, just because it is such a important mobility piece. And the the aura from middle of the storm to protect against, you know, shooting actions and things like that um, really is just the, the extra protection he needs to, as an escort. Um, plus as an henchman, you can use soul stone. So there is some extra benefit there. If I really yeah. need something to go off or something like that, I, I have that extra um, reassurances there from, from that. How about ice gamut? Are you hiring those? Uh, we can get into it a little bit later, but there's really only one time, one type of list I take where I'll take Ice Gammon, and that's when I have Sandeep as a second master. Got it. Well, that leads me to my next question. Uh, how often is that happening? Uh, who are you hiring, and when do you hire them? All right. So, uh, are you asking specifically second masters, or just kind Correct. of filling out the yeah, rest no, of second state? masters? So, for second masters. Um, Number one, I will say that Sandeep, I think, has some of the most fun, not necessarily always the most competitive, but some of the most fun um, interactions with the Rasputina crew, uh, specifically because Sandeep can do his summoning of elementals, specifically Gammon. Uh, right. what, I, what I like to do sometimes to save some stones, even though Sandeep himself is cost 16 uh, stones, what I will like to do sometimes in a list with him is I'll take... Rasputina, I'll take my Silent Ones, and I'll take um, the Blessed of December, for instance, but then I'll take two Ice Gammon and Sandeep. And the reason I do that is that when Sandeep summons a Gammon on their uh, Shackled element, Elemental upgrade card that they get, there is a, a small addendum, a little bottom portion of the ability that for some Gammon you're going to completely ignore, but for the Ice fire and uh, metal gammon uh, is very important, which is that if that summoned model is when I, within, I believe it's four inches of two other gammon of the same type with the same demise ability. So ice gammon with ice gammon, fire gammon with fire gammon. Mm-hmm. 
at the start of that specific model's activation, the three of them can replace with a enforcer with the same demise ability. So the ice game. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. So it does take the action. Sometimes it might take a soul stone, but you're saving two stones at any rate with just not paying the full 10 for the ice. Yeah. Now, the reason I like it is because there is kind of a super, super tricksy thing you can do. And I've done it both with Rasputina and I've done it with an actual Sandeep crew, which is that when you have a model that was selected for a strategy or scheme, everything about that model stays the same for that strategy or scheme and transfers over into the replaced model. So sometimes I will take a ice gammon for vendetta, but then he'll turn into the enforcer, but he still counts as cost four for vendetta. So he can then go into something else and kill it or get the damage on it and still score those points because he started out as that four soul stone ice cannon. Right, and he's going to be a lot more effective scoring exactly. that as a, go- as a golem, yeah. Yeah, so there is a lot of setup with that. It's not always going to work. Um, but Sandeep also has essentially a um, an elemental prompt, if you will. He, he does have an action that allows him to um, target any elemental, and they get to do a non-bonus action that either doesn't you know, throw on an upgrade, does not um, mention the model by name. Right. So uh, so you can actually end up it once you have that ice golem out there, you can actually get four attacks in a round with that ice golem if you need to uh, between Flurry and um, Sandeep prompting him. Uh, and Sandeep himself is pretty good. He's got, you know, um, some ranged attacks. Uh, he definitely is better leading his own crew. Um, but there are reasons that you you can take him. Uh, another thing that I'll do with the Rasputina crew, if I have Sandeep in there, is that I'll summon a uh, Wind Gammon, just because they're just excellent leaping schemers. Um, when they die, they can also, um, any model within eight inches, they can choose that model and place them within four inches of where they were. So there are some fun little things you can do with them. Um, but... Sandeep is going to be a little bit more limited because there is a restriction that uh, his upgrade they have to throw on the elementals, it's only plentiful too when he's not blue. Okay. Got it. So it won't get completely broken and that sort of thing, but it is fun. That's good. That's good. So uh, the, the other master... I would, oh, yep, yeah, the, the, sorry. The, the other master that I would take is, um, just because she's good, um, is Colette. Um, again, Colette is nice because she can do a lot of that, um, extra scheming, um, that sometimes if I don't want to, if I want to take, you know, Bless of December and I want to take, um, the Ice Golem, but I don't necessarily want to take Snowstorm, I might mm-hmm. shell out the extra Soul Stones for Colette, who's going to scheme pretty much better than most, um, things in the game. And she's going to be able to push... Uh, malls around and place them around with uh, Presto Changeo, uh, which can be an incredibly powerful, powerful ability just on its own, but especially when you have a scary beater like the Ice Golem, um, you can really, really do some significant damage with that. Um, we didn't go into them too much, but Ice Dancers are also dual performer and um, December models. They are very good don't-mind-me type scheme runners with a, a fast ability Um and they also have great synergy with the ice pillars because they can actually push eight inches towards a ice pillar with one of their actions. Oh, wow. 
yeah, so they they have a lot of mobility that the rest of the crew outside of the Wendigo or the, not the one uh, outside. Of, yeah, sorry, outside the Wendigo and the Blessed December lack um, the ice dancers have, but they'll have great synergy again with Colette. So that if I send an ice dancer somewhere and you know into an enemy model and I drop a scheme marker, but then I decide to presto changeo with Colette. There's just a lot of different interactions that can happen that can be really, really interesting, including sending a model that hasn't activated yet right into three or four ice pillars mm-hmm. and getting them out of that trap that even if they discard a card for the one ice pillar, they're still kind of screwed by the others, or even if they remove one of the ice pillars. Yeah, I mean, because if I've got if I'm on top of two ice pillars, discarding one card does me no good. I'm gonna have to discard two. Yes. As far as you know, they, and they haven't they haven't fully gone into that. I it's it that has been essentially the assumption um, for for most of the players, at least in my meta. And um, as far as I've seen with um, most battle reports and things like that, it, because the ability essentially says is that if this model is cruise leader, any models that start their activation within or one of it or an ice pillar marker must either discard a card or gain slow. So if you got two or three out there and one gets destroyed, you still have got two. They're going to have to discard and get that slow. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to get too slow. You know, you can't get slow twice. So if you decide right. to take the slow, you're not discarding any cards. If you decide to discard just one card, you're good. But having more and more out there just increases the likelihood. And especially having more around large groups of model makes it even more difficult for them to, to have to reckon with it. Now, Robert, I've been talking to a lot of competitive players uh, here and over in the UK, and one thing that I'm hearing, and I want to know if if you are finding this yourself, is that they really enjoy hiring another master, but they're telling me that it's it's more fun than it is competitive. Are you finding that to be true um, with Raspy or just in general? Uh, With Raspy Tina, absolutely. Um, I think that she excels better on her own and really more than most other, even Arcanist Masters, I think that she really excels by just having December-only models. Um, There are a handful of of out-of-keyword models that I will sometimes take with her if the encounter dictates the necessity for it. Uh, But overall, in third edition, I do think that a second master is not going to be the most competitive. Uh, I do think that for certain masters, because they are so good and utilitarian, um, that they can bring so much by being a second character that has three, but technically four with their bonus action actions. Uh, mm-hmm. Bringing that to bear can be powerful depending on the master. So I think Colette um, as a second master into any crew is going to be incredibly powerful um, in an arc in this game. And so really finding the, the right spot for her to be there. Um, I don't think, I think that a good competitive player will still be able to get work done and win some games in a competitive environment with her. Um, and across other factions, I do think that there are a handful of masters that are powerful enough because they don't have to necessarily worry about supporting the rest of their crew. Um, you know, they're going to do their thing and they're going to do it really well. Uh, so like Lady Justice and Misaki are two others mm-hmm. that come to mind from Guild and Ten Thunders respectively. You can throw them into other Guild crews or other Ten Thunders crews and they're going to they're gonna have an impact on the game. Um, 
I don't think you're going to win every game with those masters if you're doubling up, but they are going to have a, a powerful impact. I, I think probably more than anybody, Lady Justice probably will. Yeah, and I they just recently, I think in the last update of the open beta, they upped her price as a result because I think they were seeing yeah. that more and more. Um, it'll be very interesting whether um, Kyle and Matt can find that sweet spot um, because in, in my mind, if they can get it to... Everybody who is a casual player playing a casual game is going to do it because it's cool and fun, but it doesn't dominate and take over the competitive meta. If they can find that balance, it'll be pretty impressive. Yeah, I agree. I I, I will say I have um, probably in the last two months or so, I've seen more of our, our players experiment with two masters and that's been really fun to see um somebody mo most recently in one of the tournaments i ran i had to play as the ringer and um he he was playing actually yuko um the new 10 thunders master because uh he just picked her up at adepticon and he actually took masaki as a an extra master and it was honestly very very effective we ended up having a close game i played as uh mccabe in that one um and we ended up having a very close game uh but Masaki definitely had an effect on it uh, because mm -hmm. he really could just have her run an entire flank by herself because she could go wherever she wanted. Yep. And she could drop the schemes and do what needed to be done. And he had breakthrough and search the ruins and things like that going on um, in the steam pool. And so he, he really was able to use her effectively. Um, and it was really only through some, uh, some, trickiness here and there with McCabe that uh, I was able to, to pull out just a one one soul stone or one point lead um, in the end. But uh, that was one of those um, marriages between two masters that actually really terrified me because of some yeah. of the stuff that uh, the two the synergies that they had, but also the fact that Misaki is just really good on her own. Is there any, uh, Robert, is there any out of keyword or versatile models that are making it into your December crew? Uh, yeah, once in a while. Um, so one that I, one that I really like, um, to take and it's, again, it's not going to be all the time, but it will be very situational is that if it is a very, very, very scheme marker heavy pool, um, and if I'm going up against somebody like Colette or Parker or something like that, um, the saboteur. I think as a versatile model has a lot to offer between it being disguised, um, which means that, you know, can't resolve the attack actions from the charge. Uh, don't mind me, which means they can still interact while engaged. Um, and then it's attack arson, which is a shockwave that removes an enemy scheme marker. Mm -hmm. um, so it, especially that ranged scheme marker removal is really nice. And the bonus action also sabotage their plans. Um, is you target the enemy scheme marker and you remove it, and then you drop one of your own in base contact. So the, the saboteur I like, um, the soulstone miner, I think for any Arcanist player is one that's going to be good and have its uses. Um, the, as a versatile six stone model, it's got, you know, some really good defenses. It's got a berry mechanic that can, you know, shunt it across the board if needed for something like breakthrough or, um, search of the ruins and things like that. Uh, and also it's got a really great ability to literally do what it says and mine soul stones for you. Cause it can take stunned at the start of its activation, uh, which means unfortunately can't take bonus actions. And since it's a model that, um, can only take the interact action as a bonus action, it means it's not interacting that turn, but you're gaining some soul stones from 
stunning that model. Yeah. So if you're running low and you need them, um, it's, it's a good model to take. Uh, I love the wind gammon in general. Um, even at seven soul stones, it's going to really get a lot done, especially being a leaper and hiding it behind terrain. Um, and the mech arachnid as well. If you need something that is anti armor, which there is really not a lot of in a Rasputina crew, um, it's going to chew through armor, hard to wound, hard to kill, um, and can be potentially really mobile if you take the, um, uh, the diesel engine upgrade mm-hmm. on it. It's also a really good, honestly, it's a really good um, second candidate for magical training just because the shielded plus one and the counter spell um, means that you can lock that uh, minion in with a really good melee attack to, to start killing minions or even some lightweight to midweight enforcers. Yeah, yeah, and it's got the speed too. Yeah, it's got the speed to get there. Um, and so so those are really the, the four that I, I would take but again they're all situational um and, and i'd only take them based on the master that you know i knew i was playing and um, as the scheme pool allows but there really is a lot even within the rasputina uh crew that still can get a lot done you know as much as i was kind of poo-pooing the ice gammon earlier they do have some nice utility um aspects to them that can um really cause greater exponential damage um if used um, well, it's just that it takes a lot of setup, and sometimes I feel like you just don't have that time in a third edition game to get yeah. that setup in. Uh, but they do have an excellent bonus action where they can just pretty much put up freed shielded onto uh, other um, December models, which can definitely come in handy. Um, and the December Acolyte, again, is one of those where I'll definitely take it in Reckoning, but I'm not going to take it as often in other things. But um, And and especially the from the shadows can be useful with certain schemes, but it's not going to be useful all the time because he doesn't yep. have a lot of defensive text. So, um, and the Horcat again has its places as a, a sneaky scheme runner, but again, not going to be something that I take all the time, but there's enough in a Rasputina crew in that core that I talked about that you have enough room to play with options for a model or two here and there. It sounds like her and the December crew are, are, are in a good place if, if what you're talking about ends up being true, you know, six months from now that you've got a core crew that you're seeing, you know, pretty common, but you're finding other uses for the all the other December models. Yes. And honestly, I what, one thing that I've done is that um, I do have two sort of core lists that if I'm going into an event or especially if, uh, if I have to bring in an event um, that I run and... I don't want to use a ton of different models for, for each thing. I just build two variations of like a Rasputina crew. So one is kind of an all comers, but definitely one that includes the ice golem. Um, so that's two silent ones, one with magical training, a horcat, uh, the ice golem, blessed snowstorm, Wendigo, Rasputina, and I've got four stones left over. So that's the one if I want to have the mobility beat face and also have the silent ones to throw up as many pillars or, heal the hell out of the ice golem. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I also have my really schemey one, which is raspy Wendigo blessed silent one with magical training, second silent one, two ice dancers and snowstorm. And so that one I'm going to really try and spam as much of the pillars across the board, but use the ice dancers to push towards those ice pillars and get as much extra mobility between the ice dancers, the blessed and snowstorm as I possibly can. Uh, So that one I like to take into 
things like breakthrough, search the ruins, uh, deliver a message, um, outflank it can be really good in uh, as far as schemes as far as uh strategies with that list it's a really good one for um plant explosives and for turf war that's cool and and that's what we're going to do after the break robert i want to dig more into you know how how the different strategies are impacting your builds so let's take a quick break and uh i'm going to pick your brain some more mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so now that we understand your crew, Robert, I want to understand, you know, how how the pool um, is is impacting your builds. So from the top, can you talk to me about um, you go to a tournament, you've got all of your Arcanists with you. Um, What is the one or two strategies that come up um, that make you immediately consider, if not pick, Raspy? I will say the number one strategy is Turf War. Uh, The reason being is that Turf War in its essence, is really about board control, right? And especially if the deployment is standard or flank, I'm going to take Rasputina probably about 85 to 90% of the time if I'm wow. right. And the reason being is that, especially in flank, you're right there by that first marker. You're not too far away from that central marker. And my mm-hmm. Blessed December or my Ice Dancer or my Horcat can get over to that third marker on essentially my kind of L of the board very quickly and very easily. So I like to triangulate um, with those two that are right in front of me and the one in the center and just try and control as much as possible. So I'll throw up ice pillars in front of as many of the strategy markers as I can. Um, the, The other thing that I like with Turf War is the fact that I have between Blessed of December, Snowstorm, and um, the Ice Golem, three potentially scary beaters who are going to... Number one, the Ice Golem is going to make anybody think twice about trying to get to that center turf marker, Um, especially once I start throwing up pillars that's going to protect it a little bit more from shooting attacks. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually I'm going to throw the snowstorm up near in between the turf marker that is closest to my deployment area and the center marker again, so that he can be there to support whoever he needs to with either mobility or, um, attacks and, you know, a nice charge. Uh, and then that blessed December, I can just send over and score that marker very quickly or go and start hunting down others who are going to try and flip markers and the more models, you know, I kill with any of those three, I'm flipping those turf markers. Right. 
up. So um, there are schemes as well that I really like in particular with Turf War that um, I, and we can get into that later, that I think are really, really can make the crew shine because you are providing a lot of control of both the board um, and really essentially, you know, putting down those ice markers and saying, come at me and try it. Yeah, those two key pieces, the, uh, the the golem being able to really help you lock down and intimidate that middle, and then the blessed to not only get that left or right hand marker down, but also to immediately then go on offense um, yeah. and play zone, make sure nobody gets past her, um, and then push into that uh, table quarter. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, how about uh, plant explosives? Do you find using raspy with that? Yeah, I, and that second list that I mentioned, the um, the very schemey list where I take two ice dancers, um, the blessed, um, that that's the one where plant explosives I think can shine again because the extra mobility that I'm even getting out of um, snowstorm because that that shockwave affects snowstorm as well because it's a you know it's all December models and so uh, it can get that that push as well um, and so getting any of them across the board is not very difficult. Um, and the fact that, again, the ice dancers both have don't mind me. So even if somebody locks them down, I can potentially towards the end of a turn score for those ex explosives. Um, and so there is again, that cumulative effect, especially as I'm starting to slow everybody else down, really try and block areas. Um, especially if there's a lot of terrain density near the center of the board, I can also try and strategically throw up as many markers as I can to funnel my opponent into certain areas, which then, again, is going to hinder where they can plant their explosives unless they've got place effects or something like that. Um, so I do like plant explosives. I don't think it is the... Um, I don't think it is in my... Of the four, it's not in my top two. Mm -hmm. um, for Rasputina, I would say that the other one is probably Reckoning. Um, even though she's not a very killy master, she has a lot of the ability to, between her attacks, the Silent Ones, the uh, Blessed, the Ice Golem, enough damage that can get through, and especially if Slow is out on models. Yep. You get just the right amount of models killed per turn that's necessary for Reckoning. Um, and that, and again, that threat being there constantly with the ice golem and with um, the extra damage that can come, especially like I mentioned, the, the December acolytes I think are very good uh, ranged wise um, because they have the mutilate trigger as well. So if you start pinging everybody with mutilate on a model that has slow, you're getting extra damage every from every one of your range models yeah. and that can build up over time and really wreck some you know five six seven health minions or uh enforcers yeah and, and i think that we're gonna find this this bears out um as as this edition gets more mature or at least this you know set of strategies get more mature and get more play on it when you read reckoning the first thing you think of is obviously you know damage output um and resiliency but i think one of the secret um, things out there is mobility because yeah. you, you need to know when to, where to pick your spots, um, to be able to, to really 
get the points, you know, as they, as they stack, uh, um, and as you're scoring beyond and the ability to have the model where you need it to be and not giving your opponent a place to run away, um, or making it at least harder to run away, I think is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I could not agree more. I think that, um, you know, and the thing that I, I really like about uh, the strategies in this edition is the fact that, and it's also with the schemes, is the fact that 2E, I think, got stuck in the fa- in a certain mindset that it was easier to just kill everything and then scheme and score your strats than it was to actually try and scheme and score your strats without engaging your opponent. Yep. And what I appreciate about this edition is especially that a lot of the schemes require you to keep several models alive and behoove mm-hmm. you to do so. Uh, so that the, the damage output, with the exception of Reckoning, uh, and a little bit in Turf War, but uh, mostly in Reckoning, the damage output for most of you, your other strategies and a lot of your other schemes is really there as a distraction mm-hmm. to really put the pressure on your opponent rather than to just table your opponent. But to me, that Malifaux has always been great because it's not about tabling. It's not about doing the most damage. It's about scoring the points, and scoring the points are through schemes and strategies, and that plays again into the fluff and the flavor of the game. Uh, so I've always really appreciated that aspect, and I feel like third edition is doing a better job of that with the strategies and schemes. I agree, and you couple that, and this is a result of the, the stress and schemes. You know, every action it just seems so much more important. Um, I'm not seeing the throwaway actions that I had in 2E. Um, oh, yeah. it, you just, and, and that's, I think what a lot of us love about the game is that, um, you know, you've, you've got a lot of decision points. Um, absolutely. it's not a light game. And, you know, for a lot of us, that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And, you know, I, it brings me to, you know, something like Corrupted Idols is one of those that I, I absolutely love um, because it's so silly, fundamentally. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're damaging your models with irreducible damage in order to score, you know, the highest amount of points of any of the other things that you can score in that scenario. You know, you can get a max of four from Corrupted Idols, and it, it just cracks me up. When I when I first read it at Gen Con last year, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Yep. Now, there is a, definitely a random element that can hinder a Rasputina crew a little bit because of the, depending on which board side. Uh, but if Outflank is in the, the uh, scheme pool and Corrupted Idols is the strategy, I definitely consider Rasputina just because I know I can get models on either flank and I know that between two silent ones and ice pillars, I've got the range to start healing anybody who's been harmed by moving those idle markers. And I would imagine Snowstorm would be a consideration in that scenario, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Snowstorm is great for it. Um, and the Blessed of December is another yep. just rock star for it. Um, it is another one that I also... Um, that's one of those where I would also consider, you know, beyond just the ice dancers, um, I would consider taking a wind gamut just because Mm -hmm. of the the leap ability. I think uh, this is another one again, as the, as this edition gets more mature, I think we're going to see some very interesting corrupted idol builds uh, across many factions. Um, I, I, and I, obviously I can't speak to your meta. I don't feel like we've unlocked it yet here in North Carolina. Um, I think we're still finding new ways uh, to come into it. And you, and you hinted at this, Robert, the rest of the pool really changes your approach to corrupted idols. 
Absolutely. One one thing that I've actually been very curious about is um, the the masters and the crews that enjoy and deal do a lot of irreducible damage. So uh, I'm very curious and honestly very frightened to see what happens when I face off against the Leviticus player. Yep. Who knows what they're doing with corrupted idols? Because I think that that can have devastating effects between ha- me having to have my models take irreducible damage to score, and then the very as soon as that activation is done, have them take irreducible damage from Leviticus and the rest of his horror show of a crew. Yep. Yep. It, it'll be. It'll be. It, it'll stack and multiply. Yes. Yeah. I had not thought about that, and that that is frightening. Um, so Robert, um, as we, as we kind of round this out a little bit, and this is allow us to get a little bit deeper into the schemes. Um, can you build your ideal raspy pool? Um, so you're at a tournament final table and what is the pool that makes you pull the December crew out to win? Uh, it would be, so turf war would be the strategy and I would say claim jump, search the ruins, deliver message, vendetta and take prisoner. And how would you build that? So what was that so, crew look like? That crew is going to be very similar to that first crew that I mentioned, um, where I have raspy, wendigo, blessed, uh, silent, uh, two silent ones, one with magical training, uh, and then a, um, snowstorm and I'm probably taking a whore cat in that one as well. So that, that first, um, kind of baseline Rasputina kind of all comers list, Mm -hmm. um, it's going to do very well, I think in that pool. So blessed is my target for, um, using search the ruins, especially, um, I think that she's very good at accomplishing this scheme because of the leap. Um, and you couple that with just a couple other models. So Wendigo, um, another silent one or Horcat. Um, I will sometimes if I, if I'm worried about depending on who my opponent is, um, and what master they're playing, I might switch one of those silent ones out for an ice dancer instead. Mm -hmm. Uh, just that I have some extra mobility or don't mind me to really get search the ruins off. Um, but the scheme amongst all of those that I really, really enjoy for Rasputina is actually Claim Jump. And the reason being is that Claim Jump is, I think, coupled with Turf War. If I throw out that Ice Golem and I've got my Ice Pillar markers and I've got Snowstorm up there in support as well and the Silent Ones further back to heal, I have multiple possibilities of number one, locking down that turf marker. Yep. Daring the opponent to come into that essential ring of death and healing on my crew. Um, and so I will generally, I will not take the ice golem himself as the target for claim jump. He's -hmm. the one I want murdering whatever tries to get within those four inches. Right. So usually I will take either Snowstorm or I'll take a model that's less expected. So sometimes it'll be um, a Horcat. Sometimes it'll be the Ice Dancer. Something, somebody that I can get moved up quickly. Or sometimes it'll honestly be a silent one that I will, towards the middle end of the game, I'll have the... Uh, if I feel safe enough and I feel like everything's protected, I'll have uh, Snowstorm basically just keep pushing and essentially pull or yank one of the silent ones all the way up there. Yep. Yep. I could definitely see that. 
So uh, deliver a message is another one that I would seriously consider. Um, and with that one, that's where I would take out the um, one of the silent ones in place of a um, ice dancer. And I would use probably the blessed to get the initial um, message, the first message being delivered on the opponent, because it just requires you engaging them and interacting. And I know that that blessed is going to probably be able to survive long enough with her high defense, her hard to wound, um, and then leap away the next turn, right? Mm -hmm. And then to do cleanup, once that model's dead or once I've got the, the corpse marker somewhere, I will do the um i will drop uh or sorry not the course marker once i have the uh the ice dancer um will come in and basically do the second message where you just have to have it within two inches so even then i'll just send her i'll charge her in not even worry about the attack and then drop drop a scheme and and again it's this, it's where this hidden mobility that you have um at your disposal in december really makes a makes a big difference Absolutely. So Vendetta is one where it's a, it's a little risky, but I like having it there because if I do, if I am feeling very adventurous, I might take that Sandeep crew, right? And I might um, try that that silly trick. Um, but that to me, this is that ideal one because again, also if I see a lower Soulstone model that's really trying to like get some damage in on some of my bigger hitters, I know okay, that's the model that I want to start targeting. You know, these specific models or these lower self-stone models um, with my ice pillars. And it's especially nice in the Rasputina crew because I have several models who are six soul stones or higher. Mm. So I yep. can really tell who the opponent's models might be as a target for Vendetta. So it's a little bit easier for me to deny. That makes a lot of sense. And it's funny. One thing that I've noticed too with the keyword system, and this is, I think, a very good thing is it's a lot harder to solo a master compared to 2E. Yes. And to say a multi-round multi, multi round event. It's a lot harder to create an all-comers list because each of these crews are so different. And, you know, and we've talked about it with Raspy and the strategies, and you're hinting at it with some of these schemes. Raspy's good, but not good yeah. at everything. And Sandeep's good, but not good at everything. And, you know, I, that, that makes me excited. Um, and, uh, because I think that that's what Malifaux was supposed to be. I think that's oh, the that idea pool. behind it is you have these pools and you, you, you have these tools and, you know, the, the all star list, the soloing, uh, you know, the same list through all the rounds of events. Um, you know, and I, you know, obviously we're not going to know for another six months or a year, but I've got a sneaking suspicion we're going to see that less. We are. There are, there are a few masters that I think are capable of it. Um, but I think on, on the whole, we are very fortunate that we really do have um, a lot of balance between the masters that masters per faction are going to excel at very specific pools and specific things. Some are going to be better for certain encounters than others. And you are going to have, I think per faction one, maybe two who you probably could solo through, but you'd have to diversify a little bit how the crew looks. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's also good. It's good to have generalist type masters as well because some folks don't want to collect as much so folks you know really like just certain characters and are drawn to certain things or a certain play style just really appeals to them um but i don't think any of them are so far as i've seen i don't think any of them are truly broken or unbeatable 
And that yeah. I think has also made it nice is that we're going to see a lot of diversity and even areas where we do see folks, you know, doing the same one or two masters throughout an entire event, you're still going to see diversity in the crew. And that's a good thing. Well, and, you know, the, the reality is, is, you know, so, something's going to pop in the next six months or a year that's going to look that's going to end up being broken. It didn't get caught. Yeah. Right. And what the other thing that's nice compared to TUI is in TUI, you know, you 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 would focus all the balance would have to be focused on individual models. So is Sandy broken? Then we need to fix Sandeep. Whereas again, this keyword system, and just the more I think about it, the more I see it gets better, is now to balance Raspy, you don't necessarily have to touch Raspy. Exactly. Um, you because the keyword system is so important from a cost perspective in hiring to the synergies that are built into it. Um, the designers have a lot more ways to impact balance than just nerfing a model. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I think um, you know, and honestly, I think that they did a, a really good job um, throughout the beta testing as well of uh, really analyzing the cost. Um, mm -hmm. and, and putting even more of a premium on that. Uh, the Blessed of December is a perfect example. That thing was seven soul stones in the beta, in closed beta. And it should not have been. It, right. it was so good that it was too good. So when we made the transition into open and they, they it very quickly became eight, I honestly had no problem with it because... It was the type of model that I knew I was going to end up taking no matter what anyway in a December crew. Mm -hmm. But if it stayed at seven, it was going to be a model that I was going to take into almost any Arcanist crew. And you didn't. And a, what a great example that. that is, Robert, of, of, of exactly what they're going for there, right? Where they don't want a model that's going to end up in every crew. And Correct. because of the way the hiring works now, that one stone change kept her in December cruise, but made it a lot harder to hire outside. I like it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, the last scheme that I like in that whole pool is take prisoner just because I have a ton of options with it. Yep. Um, so for, for those uh, unfamiliar with that one specifically, the reveal is definitely different than the end. So the reveal is that at the end of the turn, if I have a friendly model, engaging a secretly chosen minion or enforcer, and there are no other friendly enemy models within four inches of the secretly chosen model, I can reveal the scheme to gain a point. The end point is if at the end of the game, I have a friendly model engaging that model, or after the scheme was revealed, the secretly chosen model was killed by a model which was friendly to it, I gain a VP. The reason I like this one is that it is a very distinct and very clear example of one of those schemes that is feels like it's third edition where the first one is a lot harder to score, but that second one, once you've scored it is a lot easier to score. Mm -hmm. So that's another one where the blessed, um, the ice dancer, or even a ice golem that I've thrown all the way across the board with a snowstorm is a good model to try and engage something, but keep it alive. And yep. the Ice Golem, I find, is a very good model for that, especially at the um, center of the board with Turf War going on. Mm -hmm. And with uh, Claim Jump, I like sometimes pairing Take Prisoner and Claim Jump because if somebody does get overzealous, I might choose that specific model or the model that I think might try and send itself over to try and beat on 
the uh, Nias Golem. So there's a lot of flexibility with Take Prisoner that I really like. And I especially like it because I just have to choose one of your models. I'm not choosing right. one of mine, and there's no restrictions on which model it is. It's just any of my friendly models. Well, and I'm going to do a callback here, Robert, because as you're building this ideal pool, do you know the ability that you mentioned that is starting to rise to the top for me a lot is that one-inch push that Raspy yes. gets off that trigger. Yep. And that one-inch push can make all the difference. It can make all the difference in Take Prisoner. Yep. It can make all the difference in Claim Jump, uh, Claim Jump especially. And it can make a huge, huge, huge difference in the strategy itself of Turf War. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, there there is a lot to like in her crew for manipulation, especially of these schemes. Um, I also like it beca because those are schemes that she's going to be able to excel at. Um, a lot of people also will think, oh, this range slow master is not going to have a lot that can do search the ruins, but really she is. She's going to have a lot of models that can get a, just across that center line and start popping scheme markers onto her terrain. But it's going to be a lot harder for enemy models to come towards Rasputina's side of the board and be able to accomplish the same thing because she's going to have her eyes everywhere. I think more than ever, um, defense can win games now in three. Yes, without a doubt. And I've been seeing it a lot. And it's another reason why that old second edition strategy of well, I'm just going to murder half of what's on the board and then just do my schemes around it. You just can't do that anymore. Yep. And I think that that's a result of multiple things, including the fact that overall there's less singular damage from individual attacks. You have higher uh, defensive tech, um, especially conditions like armor and shielded and things like that. And in Corporal, you see it a lot more across a lot of different models. Um, and so I think that coupled with the fact that a lot of these schemes and strategies really don't encourage as much killing. You, of course, still have your assassinates and your vendettas mm -hmm. and um, those things, and they have a place in the game and they could be really fun. But defense definitely can win games. And I've seen a lot. We've got a player in our meta who uh, has been playing Jackdaw a lot. And even though he's not always winning with Jackdaw, he is making his opponent's life really miserable <laughs> trying to win with Jackdaw. Uh, and it's just because he can do so much ping damage and there's a lot of healing and a lot of like weird interactions and things like that. And they can, he could just really grind things out for the opponent with all the, you know, and again, that feels very in flavor to that, yeah. uh, that master of, you know, he's really cursing the opponent and really affecting their hand and doing things like that. So, uh, yeah, and I, one thing I will say is that there is um, one other scheme that I don't mind seeing in the pool um, when I play Rasputina, just because I think that she, you may be able to score one of the points, but it's going to be very difficult to score the second. Um, and so this is more of just kind of a denial thing, is that I don't always mind when assassinates in the pool. I'm not generally going to choose it, but... I know it's also one that the opponent is definitely going to think twice about choosing because of her ability to remove those ice pillars to just ignore right. And the fact that I've got two powerful healers um, in the crew already, there's just going to be a lot of things that are going to make it more difficult to score that last point. She's um, She's got a lot of flexibility within her keyword um, to react to the pool. Um, and I think that's going to prove to, to be a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that um, 
you know, I don't think she's going to be the style of master that's for everybody. But I think that if you do like control, if you like range, uh, she's definitely going to be one that you can have a lot of fun with. Uh, there's just a lot of nuance to her. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm a player who really, you know, sometimes I like to go simple and just, you know, beat face. You know, I play Lady Justice. I enjoy that. But a lot of the time I really look for those masters where, and those crews where I, I, I have just a ton of options because it's a game where you're going to be playing, especially in a competitive setting, you're going to play against strangers and you're going to come across things you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. You need to have answers for it, you know, on the fly. So the more flexibility you have within the crew and within the synergy of the crew, the better off you're going to be. And that's why I like a master like Rasputina because I'm taking some of that decision-making away from her. You know, the, the thing that I love about that shockwave attack and winter strike is that if I've got a great hand, I might try and push through some winter strike, you know, and get some blasts off on people. But if I've got, you know, a middling hand, I'm going to just start dropping those shockwaves on my ice pillars that are not going to get removed and force the onus on my opponent's hand instead. And so yeah, she seems she seems to have a kind of a nasty balance. And when I say nasty, I mean for the opponent. Um is she's got the mobility to be reactive, which is to your point important in this edition, but the ability to also impose her will um yes. with the control aspects. And a lot of times it's one or the other. It sounds to me like she's got a little bit and a lot of bit of both, depending on how you build that crew. Um, which you know, again, to this, you know, what we've been talking about with this defensive, you know, defense being more and more important, your ability to react, your ability to impose your will is going to win you games. Oh, it absolutely is. And and I've seen it, you know, throughout from closed beta to now, you know, right before release, I've seen it, I've seen the evolution of that. And the masters that my, my meta, the the player base that I have are winning the most with are those masters that have the most options available to them. Now, I think that almost every master has options and it's about finding those, but there are several masters that I think are a little bit easier to pick up or have a lot of depth that you can really dive into. And those are the masters that I think um, have really been giving all of us, you know, a tough time as we play them, but also being, great for kind of reinvigorating our community mm-hmm. as well. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to crack those codes. Yeah. It, um, it, and it's, I think it's probably what we're finding here in North Carolina. Um, we're, we're stealing from the warm hordes, uh, player base. Uh, it sounds like you are a little bit too. We, we definitely are. And it's, 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 if you ask them like the two things, this is one of them. Um, yeah. where they're, where they're, they're not giving up anything that they, that they got from Mormon hordes and they're gaining a lot that they didn't even realize they could have. Yes. That's very, very cool. Well, and I think the, the thing that separates Malfo beyond, I think any other minis game is the fact that you build your list for each encounter. And yeah. I think that's something that a lot of our folks who came over from Mormon hordes and from 40 K are really, really enjoying is the fact that you can tailor your list to your opponents and the encounter. So you don't just have to have an, you know, two or three all comer lists. Mm-hmm. You have to account for everything. You can really, really tailor it. It still requires a certain knowledge about the game, but it also allows you to still uh, play within your play style. 
Yeah, and 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 I don't want to sound like we're bashing 40k and and War of Hordes. I mean, uh, you know, they're good games, and you know, oh, blah blah blah. But we're talking about Malifaux here. So, um, but I will say that um, compared to those two, a lot less games are won before models hit the board in Malifaux than in those two games. Oh, absolutely. And that gets to exactly what you're talking about, which yep. is, you, you know, you still, you, I mean, hell. I build crews all the time, not knowing what the pool is, right? You goof around with different lists or you'll create a random pool and, you know, you'll build some lists around it. Um, when I was playing 40K, it, it was an obsession, um, you know, to, to, to min max and not in the derogative way, but just figure out that best way to handle anything. Um, yeah. and because and then, the win conditions are very different. Yep. Yep. No, it's it's very much so. And the impact of who your opponent is, I think, yeah. is is even even more different. Um, that's really good stuff, Robert. So now we're gonna get, take a break, but when we get back, we're gonna reward all of those non-arcanist players um with some secret tech from you on how to potentially um, you know, hold your own against uh Raspy. So we'll be right back. Okay, without a doubt, Robert, the part of the show that I'm most excited about because I hate Raspy and I hate Arcanus. So tell me what I need to know in case I face Jimmy again and he brings Raspy to the table. All right, so the first thing that I will say, um, now this is a little unfortunate because you hate Arcanus, so you probably would never play as Arcanus. <laughs> they, they actually, Arcanus, uh, some of the other models and other masters have some very good counters to Rasputina. Uh, specifically, the Soulstone Miner and Willie actually have abilities that destroy destructible terrain. Uh, mm. So there are other models across a couple other factions. Um, Ten Thunders have Sadir Archibald. Um, the Outcasts have uh, Mad Dog Bracket. Um, I'm sure there's several other models, but they have a bonus action called Blow It to Hell. And Blow It to Hell essentially um, is a it's a eight inch range, so it's pretty substantial. Um, stat six, target number ten, so it's very easy to get off. And it's uh, you drop a blown to ha- a blown apart marker, which is just another 30 mil marker, um, anywhere within range. And then it removes any destructible terrain within pulse two of it. Balls within aura two of that marker do not benefit from having cover at all, even if they you know if there's another marker that's like still, you know, so especially since it's height four, if there's one a little bit further back. Um, so they won't benefit from any of that cover. They and that marker stays there as well. So it's a good way to um, essentially, especially if I'm trying to manipulate cover for my models or run a screen or something like that. Um, so it's a really good way to get rid of pillars that are there, but also discourage new pillars from popping up right. if I'm trying to use it for cover. I'm still going to be able to use that pillar if I drop it elsewhere for something else. Um, but it is a good, uh, really good way of getting rid of you know, a couple of pillars with a bonus action so you're not wasting an action just destroying one and having to be within one inch of it. Um, the Soulstone Miner also has a very um, powerful front-of-card ability um, that actually just allows it to destroy destructible terrain that's essentially right in front of it. Um, and that mm-hmm. one, I believe, does not even require an action. Um, and it is called 
what's it called? Demolitionist. Yeah. So at the start of the model's activation, it remove all destructible terrain within one inch. And the benefit of that as well is that if I drop an ice pillar marker in front of the soulstone miner and it hasn't gone yet, that player who has taken the soulstone miner when it's their turn to activate, they choose the order of when things happen. So they can destroy that destructible terrain before they have to make that decision for slow or fast. Oh, right. Right. Exactly. Uh, so uh, so there are a couple little tricksy things. Um, it also has a three-inch tactical or three-inch pulse tactical action called Thriller Driller, which is stat six, target number 12, which is destroy all destructible terrain within range. So that essentially ends up being a six-inch bubble from the center of that model that it's going to um, be able to destroy a ton of ice pillar markers, especially if you have it unbury somewhere and then do thriller driller. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I have had it happen to me. It is not fun. Uh, usually the soulstone miner is one that I try and kill first. If it's in, uh, if it, if I'm seeing it across the table, uh, but it's not always easy because it's a very good model with a lot of defensive tech on it. Yeah. And, and I would imagine, you know, for, you know, the, likelihood of the ice golem we've already talked about you know the ability to have some anti-armor tech um mm -hmm. sounds good it also sounds like um the ability to maybe remove and strip suits uh, might be helpful yes um based off of the target numbers that you've been talking about and having the suits built in and a lot of them um taking kind of a step back though robert like generally speaking is there a certain style or type of crew that are is less than ideal um uh for raspy uh card and hand manipulators um oh right the so, card pressure yeah so yuko is going to be a nightmare for raspy team to have to deal with because um, she's already card starved, and Yuko yep. um, going to be forcing similar choices on on me as the Rasputina player. Um, now, having played against Yuko a few times now, I, I do think that there are plenty of situations where you can just be like, "Okay, Yuko, take all the past tokens you want," mm -hmm. um, because I want my cards. Uh, but it is going to you just have to know that you're going to have to race for that as well because there will be consequences from that so there right so but somebody like lucius um who's going to manipulate his own hand and try and manipulate yours is going to be really tough to deal with as well um hamlin i find i have some trouble with uh with rasputina because the rats are so good at just completely negating the pillars mm -hmm. um, you know while he does enjoy rats for other things um, and, and wants them for, for other actions. The fact that the insignificant model can just run up and remove the pillar because it's not an interact, um, really, really hurts. So, um, summoners who can do similar things as well, you know, and especially if that summon is not, you know, has an upgrade that gets attached that does not let them, uh, take interacts, they can still remove ice pillar markers. And so that's also something that's very important to keep in mind. So, um, I also think that, uh, certain, um, crews that are heavy on mobile melee damage dealers. So mm -hmm. Lady Justice is still somebody that, uh, worries me as a Rasputina player that even with me dropping several ice pillar markers right next to Rasputina, um, if assassinates in the pool, Lady Justice, if she really wants to, she's going to get over there and she's still probably going to kill Rasputina. 
Uh, yeah. More importantly, she rasp, uh Lady Justice and some of those other types of guild type damage dealers, some of the outcast um, Nekama are still going to be able to go and start hunting the minions that I rely upon very heavily. So getting those ice pillar markers out as the Rasputina player is going to be very important with those counters um, and knowing that because the more slow you can get out there, the less yep. actions they're taking against your models. That makes sense. I would also imagine getting back to the hand pressure, the things, you know, a lot of terror checks, um, uh, a lot of manipulative and stuff like that, I would imagine um, would, would, would be a challenge. Yeah, I, and, you know, manipulative and terror are interesting because Rasputina herself is ruthless, so she is one of the ones that um, I use to kind of get around that a little bit. Um, so if, the, if that's the case, right, then I will use her as my primary range damage dealer. Uh, of course, you know, of course the uh, Ice Golem, he wants to smash face as much as possible. Um, and so he's he's one of those that's just going to have to deal with it. Fortunately, even mm-hmm. though defense is bad, his willpower is still at five. And so there are different things. Now, the one thing I will say is that if you, as a Rasputina player, and really this goes across the board for third ed is that if you're worried about things like manipulative or distracted um, and you're you're not sure what to do especially on turn one uh, but even turn two if you don't necessarily have a target in range yet to attack or um, somebody that you need to inter you know a model that you need to interact with or you can't quite quite get to where you need to drop a scheme marker really consider taking that concentrate action yep because the buildup of focus um, I found in pretty much all of my third edition games has really made the difference, especially in a lot of my victories have really been because I was able to build up focus either through taking concentrate over the course of multiple turns ever since they made the, the change of how concentrate works or mm-hmm. having um, extra other models who can throw out focus onto um your individual models once they've already taken concentrate. That focus action can really help you get through a lot. It can help you get through distracted and then give you a positive to that damage flip. Yep. Um, it can help you get through that manipulative. It can help you uh, pass that willpower check that you really, really, really need to worry about because of a Zoraida with all of her obeys and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or that terror check. Um and things like, well, not I guess not the chair check, because that's not a post. But, you know, similar idea of, like, a lot of those things that you really, really have to be concerned about so that you can start preserving at least some of your cards in hand, because it's going to matter later on. Yep, that makes a ton of sense. Um, well, Robert, that, it was a pleasure, my friend. Um, I really appreciate um, really how much you, you you shared with us and the level of detail that you gave us. Um, you've uh, you've sold me on hating her, um, so congrats <laughs> to that. And uh, I'm going I'm going to have to uh, going to have to talk you into coming back because um, uh, I think not only did I enjoy this, but I'm sure uh, our listeners did as well. So I I do appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been great. All right. Everybody take care. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and write a review on this podcast so we can find more people almost as cool as you are. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by searching for Third Floor Wars. That's T-H-I-R-D. We'll catch you next time on The Third Floor.